This is the one with bloke utopia. A skeleton crew. Wet brains. Dry brains. And a grief tsunami. It's called Smile. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel sound. Dalek, Cyber, Zood, and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? What up, podcast land? Welcome to another amazing, fantastic, and so forth episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doctor. That's right, fellow co-hosts, because lucky for you, podcast land, I am not the only person you'll be hearing from tonight. Don't turn over. I'm Drew Back When, but I also have in Germany <laughs> the amazing, the wonderful... Marie! That's stimped! And in <laughs> Oxford... <laughs> I have the amazing, the Ponclonius. <laughs> I believe that would be me. That's Leon. Hello. Hello, Podcastland. Hello, Drew. Hello, Marie. Hello. Yes, his virtues and assets outstrip the capacity for proper English to describe. And that's who we've got tonight. Us three, ready to review. N133, <laughs> smile. <laughs> As it must be intoned. <laughs> so, which of you did this episode leave smiling? <laughs> I believe I may be in the minority, but it certainly left me smiling. I liked it. Marie's smiling, but are you smiling because of what Leon said or because of the episode, Marie? Or because it's over. It's... <laughs> I'm smiling that fake smile so someone doesn't come over and kill me from behind. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. So, so if an interface robot had been stood behind you while you watched the episode, you would be dead. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's pretty sick burn, Frank Cottrell voice. <laughs> And you, Drew? Somewhere in the middle. Oh, you're nice and safe. Must be cushy in there in the middle. I'm frowning <laughs> slightly, veering towards a single tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. But Marie, but Drew, what is this episode about? Why? Let's find out by means of a B-scale. Fantastic suggestion. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize So take a view, and grab a brew, and listen to this overview This free-for-all, we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who Bite-sized chunk of who After a thing happened a long time ago, and despite making a promise about said thing Doc takes a slight detour whilst en route to Mummy Nardole and the Kettle So he can show Bill the sights, sounds, and sexist food portions of a faraway bloke-topia Cut to the far-flung future when some of the very last remnants of mankind have sought refuge in an architectonic orgy of angles populated by robots who will make dead anyone who isn't happy enough to be alive because cause and effect are more of a wet brain thing. Bill and Doc's excellent adventure continues as this awakens in them in a silly hankering to blow up the place, but this might be more complicated than they first anticipate, and so they must figure out the mystery of the magic haddock before they've both had their chips. You are smiling. And I just alive. <laughs> Where is who starting when? <laughs> <laughs> and Sorry, why? This, I, I'm, I'm halfway down my pint of Negroni. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already mentioned him. I want to point out that this is Frank Cotrevoice's second and so far final Doctor Who episode script to date. Yes, indeed. 
wrote The Forest of the Night as well. Yeah, and it's nice to see they spent more than a trip to the garden centre on the months of effort he would have put in this time. Oh, holy smokes, yes, certainly. He also wrote the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympic Games. Oh. Wait, is that the one where the Queen jumps out of a helicopter and then turns into James Bond or something? I thought that was the closing ceremony. It's the one oh, that Danny sure. Boyle directed, and it's all about, we have the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't remember what happens in it, but it said on Todd's Wikia that he based it on Shakespeare's The Tempest, so I'm assuming it's not the one where the Queen jumps out of a helicopter. <laughs> Hmm, Early draft, Tempest. Early draft. <laughs> yeah, before Shakespeare had a writing room and someone was like, Bill, too many helicopters, too many helicopters. <laughs> no one but Da Vinci has heard of those. You've got to write to a mass audience. You've got to fill this globe. It's going to burn down. We need to recoup our costs. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. This was first broadcast on the 22nd of April, 2017. Ah. It was directed once again by Lawrence Goff, old two and out himself. And that's the end of my facts. So come on, someone starts off with a question. Marie, I feel like you've got one. She's consulting her notes. I have a question. Okay, so put yourself in the situation where everybody around you is dying. And when you get sad about these things, you get killed. And you've understood this cycle enough that you know you have to have a fake smile plastered on your face. And someone comes into this new situation. Here are your options. You tell them to keep happy, but don't really tell them why, I guess. Or say nothing, I guess. You explain to them that the robots have turned evil and we have to pretend to be smiling. Or do you first of all tell them that everybody they know has died and then tell them, like... Yeah. It's just, <laughs> like, why lead with that? <laughs> yeah, like, who's, a who's million smiling percent through agree that revelation? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't want to defend it, but I sort of feel myself wanting to defend this character because that character, Good Thing, was played by by far the superior actress in that scene. So I want Good Thing's oh. actions to make sense in some way. Wait, so, is that the character's I mean, name? Yes. Good Thing? Yes, oh, she's called cool. Good Thing, and the one out in the fields of wheat is Kezia. Okay. So I think Good Thing has seen, in the space of a morning, we learn near the end of the episode incalculable horrors and so she's going to be a bit discombobulated sure she doesn't have the option that doc and bill seem to have later on which is running out into the field because kezia's just coming in from the field with a swarm of vardies so why does that change maybe put a pin in that but she's got nowhere to go outside of the city, apparently, where they can be free of them. So she's got to break the news somehow because Kezi's just going to ask her the question. So she's trying to get ahead of the problem. She no, doesn't react to the no. problem. She's trying to head it off. Marie, I'm with you on this one. You absolutely do not. This is the smile equivalent of Corridors and Corridons. We'll get to that. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Oh, <laughs> Under those circumstances, you absolutely do not deliver the worst possible news ever. Which is what she does. No, exactly. And Just don't tell her that until you can... Because, Drew, when you say they have nowhere to go, do they not know about the spaceship where none of the robots are, where they came from, that Doc manages to find? That's surely where they yeah, landed. Yeah, exactly. Just go there, barricade the door, figure out another plan. And also, it's not like the robots kill you if you tell a fellow human being you have to smile. Like, just make a smiley face. And that's all she has to say. Exactly. It, she doesn't have to wrap it in mystery and go, oh, no, look happy, happy, happy. She doesn't have to be like that. Just listen, make a smiley face, just smile. We will go elsewhere. 
I will tell you <laughs> yeah, everything and ever. During that whole long walk, the woman's going to be like, no further questions. Well, you don't have to. You just to. keep telling a joke. You don't have to. You just it... keep saying happy things. Why do you keep telling me jokes? No, you don't In have fact... to do that. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is be a little human and realise that the person who's telling you to smile is clearly going through some sort of panic attack and sympathise and empathise and therefore just play along. And then when you've gotten to some other part of this, frankly, gorgeous building, which we also have to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. Then you sit down. This person tells you, oh, yeah, by the way, everyone we care about has been turned into fertilizer somehow we didn't notice and (laughs) it happened while you were out for a walk everyone turned into fertilizer (laughs) 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 then exactly yeah bob is your parents sibling yeah who also tragically died this morning (laughs) either way yeah i'm on your side marie we're overlooking what to me is one of the two most jarring and grating and unavoidable plot holes in this episode which is i think there's something on my back can you take it off for a sec okay great i'm gonna do the same to you okay we're safe we're safe now and forever and anyone (laughs) coming out of the spaceship they just won't put them on and they'll stay safe now and forever can you actually take them off well bill and doc don't have them for the rest of the series so i assume yes Wait, they take the... Oh, no, that's true. But is it that they can take them off after the robot control has dissipated? Okay, so just get naked. They're attached to your clothes. Just shimmy out of it. I reckon they're not attached to your clothes because when they try to put them on their lapel, it moves to their back. So I bet what would happen is you would have a really awkward situation with Capaldi and Bill looking at each other, stark naked, and going like, is there still a frowny face on my back? Like, Actually, it's kind of a confused look, and I don't know what to make of that. (laughs) I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, what's on your back? Oh, the same. Why is it a winky face? (laughs) 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 Why are you looking at my chest and winking at me? (laughs) Capaldi, why is yours clearly wearing the Ray-Bans? That's clearly the (laughs) the emoji, right? Well, yes, because he's so super cool. Yeah, Uh, and he's got the (laughs) Ray-Bans. That is a missed trick. Oh, actually, now I do feel like that is a missed trick. Yeah, well done. Well done you for noticing that it was well done me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's how our partnership tends to work and flourish. <laughs> that's why we keep writing together. That's the secret. That's all you need to know. Mm, that's the secret sauce. <laughs> At some point in India, Paul stopped complimenting John at every possible moment, and that was it. That's why the Beatles broke up. It's no great mystery. <laughs> Are you saying the secret to our success is you stroking my ego? Just enough. (laughs) Not so much that it's gross and unseemly, but, you know, just the right amount. I'll take it. And you have done. My ego is fragile enough. Keep going, man. Right, (laughs) we should move on with this episode, though. (laughs) Otherwise, it's next week on Stroking Leon's Ego. (laughs) A.K.A. Who Back When. Oh, you fucking asshole. Did we answer the question to begin with? I've sort of forgotten it. But I feel like, yes, it makes for a very cool three minutes. It makes for a very ruthless, interesting, intriguing end to the cold open. Like, wow, these robots are that binary. They're hateful when you're alive and happy when you're dead. This is going to be a fierce matchup this week. Yeah, that's very good. But yeah, just scratch the surface. I don't know. I feel more forgiving Obviously, the behavior is ridiculous, but I don't think there was a concise way around it. If they'd gone to another place, the robots would have pursued them, and it would just have taken longer to achieve the same results. Uh, 
I guess you're right. It needed to be a short, sharp shock. But the whole time she was doing it, it's like, just stop giving her bad news and telling her to smile. She clearly hasn't got the importance of the smile. It's not working. She's going to die and then you're going to die. And I think if you can see it coming that obviously, then it's you've done something wrong. Either way, what a cold open, right? Yeah. yeah. Like a yeah, yeah. very effective opener. I think yeah. you also... Was this you, Drew, just a moment ago? I feel like this reveals another shortcoming of the episode, though, that it's not just within the confines of the city, that the Vardy, that they can fly around. Yeah. Because they also mm-hmm. seem to be doing the actual pollination. Like, they seem to be planting this entire field. Why is this lady out in the field? Kezia. Kezia. Why is she there? There's not another building. She's, she's interfacing. She's making sure the interface robot tells the Vardy's the right sort of thing. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing better for what, you. What does that mean? That means <laughs> nothing. <laughs> she's the foreman. She's the supervisor. I think she's yeah, just she's out for a walk. Them which, which plants need pollinating because they can't work it out on their own. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, fair enough. Vardy, this bit of wheat. <laughs> yeah. Not just here's a field of wheat, go and do it all. Yeah. She has to point to them. Yeah. This one here. <laughs> You did the other <laughs> 7 billion strands of wheat really well. This cluster over here, not so well. Copy-paste that bit here. Yeah, anyway, so she's off for a walk, but the Vardy are there. So then later on, when Doc and Bill walk down to the TARDIS, which, by the way, why are there two paths leading directly to the TARDIS? Anyway, when they are running for the TARDIS, the Vardy can't get to them. Yeah, and the Doctor says, oh, once we're out of the city, we're not their problem. Precisely. Which has not been the but case hitherto. It's just not true, yeah, because they're still wearing the little smiley faces. So yeah. It's just really stupid to put them in the same field. They could have easily put them in a desert somewhere else that hadn't been populated yet or something. You mean like on the other side of the building, it's just like plain desert? <laughs> On this side, it's verdant. It's beautiful. Holy smokes, could this basically be like Orphan 55? Yes, exactly. Oh, gross. (laughs) No, no, it's it's not. I mean, it's post-Orphan 55, but it's also like an outside version of The Doctor's Daughter. Yeah, you're right. Which was all about terraforming and a new society going straight for the guns at the end Mm, when, when they shouldn't. Oh, God, oh. There's a billion tiny robots above us. Let's just shoot them with these big fucking laser guns or whatever. <laughs> like, that's going to help. The whole building's made of them. But I've got a gun, so I'm fine. Oh. Why don't oh. they know that the Vardy are there? Yeah, no, the Doctor tells them like it's a big revelation, but surely they programmed them to make the building. Yeah. They didn't just decide to... They must have like been trained to be aware that they wake up in a building made of robots, or yeah. you know, nano-robots, or whatever they're called, and yeah, here's your well, life now. Presumably someone designed that building as well. They said, okay, we have this many life forms, so we're going to need a big space that can accompany them all when they're awake, and the robots are going to do it. Well, it may be that they... they, I think they maybe set the Vardy certain parameters based on the sort of world they would arrive on within which, or according to which, they make a certain type of building. But yeah, definitely some basic Vardy programming has preceded all of this. Yeah, but even if not everybody that they're about to wake up does know, he was a super important dude, wasn't he, Ralph Little? Because he said, oh, I thought I'd be the first one awake because I'm whatever his job title was. He called himself Ned One. What he should have called himself is the first doctor. Yeah, I'm the first doctor to be woken up and compared to, like, like, fuck you are. (laughs) 
Hmm. So I didn't I didn't clock that it was a medic. But yeah, if he's the mad one, why is his first response to go and get the guns? That seems to go against uh, all his training. Well, his first response is to listen to the doctor's extremely angry, patronising lecture to these people who've just woken up and have done absolutely nothing, yet are held accountable and to blame for everything that's happened so far. <laughs> I was fine with that. I don't feel like Doc is blaming them for anything. He's just sort of putting them in their place so they don't get any illusions of freedom and wander out and get themselves killed. But no, no, there is a juncture at which the tone of the episode really changes to treating the Vardy as a new life form and of equivalent importance to the humans. And it doesn't quite fit because it starts with the doctor making this speech. He calls them a slave class in the speech. And these people have just woken up. They apparently didn't build the Vardis because they don't know about them. And so the doctor is basically saying, you guys have been enslaving these poor Vardis and now they're fighting back. So how can you blame them? I'm sure, I'm sure they are aware of the Vardi and I'm sure that they also built them to a degree. They may not have built these specific ones, but they come from the same society that built the Vardi. Mm-hmm. Because presumably they weren't frozen for centuries before they were put in this spaceship. They went in and were cryogenically frozen at the same time as the spaceship was loaded up with Vardi, with these smiley but- robots. It is just to clarify either poor writing or poor script editing, <laughs> but they are definitely culpable. No, we don't know where this planet is. We don't know how long they've been travelling. So Earth has been evacuated and there's been ships all over the universe that the Doctor has come across in different episodes. What if they've been travelling for centuries and so they started with some very primitive robot technology, similar to what we have on Earth with like artificial intelligence, and over hundreds of years they've evolved in to what they are now and so these people that have been asleep the whole time don't know about it as they traveled across interstellar space yeah because they don't have TARDIS technology i'm sorry to defend this episode i really don't want to let me jump back to what drew was saying because that is uh more negative i need to talk about that one i I think that's um, a nice idea though sorry before you change subject i think that's a really nice interpretation of it that possibly the robots have evolved over time i think that's lovely yeah i didn't consider that i think that's a very good idea I didn't until we were just talking then, but I think just that could explain it, I guess. But no, you're right, Drew. When he says about this slave race, at that point, we still think they're robots. And he just is not speaking about them in the right way. And it's after that point that he then claims that they're life forms. Yeah, it's only after then that he figures out that they're emergent life forms. Exactly. So, yeah, why is he talking to these humans as if you've enslaved these creatures when at that point... We think that they're robots. Does he think that we can enslave robots? I don't understand. Hang on, sorry. Does he think that these humans have enslaved the robots, or does he feel that now that they have gained sentience of their own, they should no longer be made to serve the humans who have just awoken? Yeah, but he doesn't know that they've gained sentience yet because he makes that discovery a few minutes later. This right. episode it is, just comes just, in the wrong it, order. Yeah, it's okay. as you say, Leon, bad script editing. Some of it's written hey. back to front. But I would also say, you said they are definitely culpable. These people have one choice, which is to leave the planet. We have one choice, which is to engage in the modern global capitalist system in which there is modern slavery on numbers that surpass even the classical days of slave trading. Are you saying that we are definitely culpable? And if so, what should we do about it? So we're better than these people on this planet. I feel like that reaches beyond the scope of who back when. 
<laughs> just giving podcasts on something to think about. <laughs> yeah. Right in us, let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you have a hand in modern slavery? <laughs> I hadn't really clocked on the wrong order of this. I don't remember when he makes this, when he has this realisation. When does he have the I mean, realisation? Wait, how does he have this realisation? Why does he have this realisation? I'll, I'll tell you why. It's after they have attacked the interface robot and the interface one is glitching and the Vardy is swarming about and he says, ah, oh, they think they're under attack and that's how they're self-aware so they must be sentient. That is the order of events. I don't feel like that's enough of an argument to say that they're sentient. <laughs> um, probably not. <laughs> I mean, that is this whole argument. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mean, if a photon torpedo strikes the Starship Enterprise, it goes, rip, rip, and yeah. the alarms go off. Yeah, is the Starship Enterprise sentient? Yeah, yeah. you don't even senses. have to do that. You have a car, Drew. It has an uh, alarm. Is your car sentient? Actually, like, it doesn't we, have we an have... alarm, but nobody come and steal it. It's... Okay, most cars have an alarm. They are not the Starship Enterprise, nor a part of the Hooniverse. They are not sentient. Yeah, I feel like there must be something else to it. Is it not when he's dissecting one of the robots? Is that not when he realizes it? Or not dissecting? You know, when like when he sees the innards of a robot. Is, is that yeah, really that, it? That's, that's the exact same scene. It comes right yeah. at the end. Oh, oh damn it. Damn this episode. Reset, and he actually says, as he's pulling out the innards to do the reset, and he says, I hope this doesn't hurt. That's the point where he's decided they're sentient. Right. And he's also equating that with feeling pain. Hmm. Oh, a couple of minus points here. A couple of minus yeah. points. There's something else about that scene that gets to me a little bit, and that's that only now, like for the first time, are we operating under the assumption that if you do something to one of these robots, it's somehow connected to all of them. So if he flips the switch, you know, if he turns a robot off and turns it back on again, that somehow wipes their mainframe. <laughs> Surely there must be a massive yeah. computer somewhere that they're all tied into. These are just teeny tiny bots. They're just extensions of a massive computer, of a massive AI. And he's basically, what he's doing is he's looking at an old school computer, taking the mouse, taking out the battery of the mouse, putting it back in again and going, hey, I just reformatted the hard drive. That's not how that <laughs> stuff works. Yeah. What, what he's doing is he is taking a single ood and punching it in the face. <laughs> but it does nothing to the ood brain hidden under the eyes. <laughs> Lays that ood right? out. Doesn't help. Because it's not just a reset. It's not going back to their original programming. Because if that was the case, it would just happen again. Surely the next time someone dies, they would just go through this whole cycle again. Yeah. He has, he has to make them forget the programming enough to like forget who humans are. But they obviously remember other stuff so that they can still function. Yeah, it's a very weak explanation for a very complicated thing, I think. Yeah, also, maybe don't allow these robots to... I mean, great, now they're sentient, we're all very happy for them, but like, maybe don't <laughs> push them in the direction of eccentricity. Towards the end, he basically reprograms them to be slum landlords. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not going to end in tears. There's clearly like, a one-way ticket to tragedy, because fast forward, uh, I don't know, to post-credit sequence where oh the best tenant is a dead tenant a dead tenant mm. never complains yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because actually what can the humans offer the vardy 
absolutely nothing. They there's there's going to be way. a human brothel. There's oh. going to be a really gross human brothel. But what are the Vardis going to do? They're microscopic. They're not when, if they're when... joined together. Oh, I see. They'll T-1000. Yeah. Yes, body time. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the end scene when the robot gets the like dollar signs in his eyes as well, and it's yeah. just they see that the humans can give them money. But what does money mean in this society? Do they even still have currency yeah, like, when you're the last humans? How does this help anyone? <laughs> yeah, and what, are the, what, are the ro- what are the tiny robots going to buy? Because whatever they want, they can just become. Yeah, that's right. And there is no commerce. <laughs> there is no, no commerce in general. They have everything. They already own everything. As in, sorry, there is no such thing as ownership. So the humans who show up, they can't go like, oh, this thing that we have here, you can have it in exchange for us being allowed to stay in your city. It's like, no. Only possible thing that the Vardi need is sexual gratification. (laughs) (laughs) But what if it hasn't been programmed into them? I think the doctor just did. I think the (laughs) doctor... I hope this doesn't hurt too much. This is a tabula rasa <laughs> civilization, right? Like, this is a brand new civilization. This is the first job that's in existence here. Yeah. What's the oldest profession, quote unquote? That's what's happening here. I'm not it's saying, I'm not advocating this. Like, I'm not saying that I'm in favor of it, but I'm saying that's clearly the only, only way forward. That's the only way your brain can go. <laughs> Wait, no, do you know what it could be? The only thing that the humans can offer them is their bones as fertilizer but no they don't need the bones of fertilizer because the fertilizer grows food to feed the humans so they don't need that which makes more fertilizer which makes even more human bones but what do the robots need energy what energy drives them that's the thing that they need sexual energy according to leon (laughs) (laughs) well it's either that or it's solar power right yeah those are the only two options yeah sex or the sun but I reckon what we're seeing here is just the first stage in a horrible dystopia, a blokestopia, where basically the remaining humans, they auction off the weakest ones to be turned into fertilizer so that the robots go, that's all right then, you can stay here uh, another month. It's going to be like tributes. It's going to be like Logan's Run. I don't know. I think the only thing you can trade in is scarcity. So what's going to happen is there are going to be Vardy factions will appear and they'll kill off all their humans but one. So they'll be like, look, I've got this human. It's super valuable. And they'll go to war on each other and every faction that gets defeated, their human will get killed. Eventually there'll be one human left and they'll be like, what was that about? I remembered some grey-haired, angry Scottish dude telling us this was the way to go. Ah, well. Yeah, we're much happier now, aren't we? This is much better. Yeah, yeah. Everyone have some blue Turkish delight and shut up. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how long that takes to happen. It might be half a minute. It might be 5,000 years. But it's going to happen. Yeah. I want to say all of this is just solidifying my opinion that this is a great episode. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Bing bong, future Drew back when here. If you want to see how Star Trek TNG deals with exactly the same issue as here, that of nanobots becoming sentient, and how you can avoid it leading to a bleak as balls dystopia by actually communicating with the little buggers beyond pound signs, watch episode one of series three, Evolution, and as a bonus, get to see Ken Jenkins pre-Dr. Kelso from Scrubs as a semi-deranged scientist. Bing bong. Okay, so we've talked about the Vardy swarming a bit. Yeah. 
Mm. You only ever see one Vardy swarm appear. The whole massive, beautiful building, which we will get to, Leon, is made of Vardy. Yeah. So why is there only ever the one swarm? Because why do you need the effect? You don't need many of them. Apparently they do, because the Doctor and Bill are very easily able to escape. (laughs) Yeah, just dissolve the entire building and run after them into the yeah, field. Don't even run after them, just collapse them. on top of them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's... Vardy's crushed no, them that's instantly. True. That's exactly oh my right. God. Every time they're running down a corridor, they should just appear at the end of it. And, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. My argument was going to be... Don't segment I was going to <laughs> conduct would just have been, no, you're dead instantly. No, you can't do that. You're yeah. also dead instantly. <laughs> because there is no way to defeat these nanobots. Okay, the only thing I have is that if they all come out at once and the structural integrity of the building won't survive and maybe they'll all get crushed to death. So you have to come out a little patch at a time. So maybe this little corner is not integral. It's just the show. And they're the ones that can freely move around. This is an extremely flimsy building. It seems like it (laughs) kicks it in the right area. It's just crumbling. No, sorry. This is a load-bearing corridor. We we can't dissolve this one. Yeah. It really stressed me out that it looks so organic when all of the robots are coming away and there's just like it crumbling. And it's like, why? Why don't they just take a literal like line off or a corner or something? Yeah. It looked really cool though. Yeah, or it make a beautiful cool. circular skylight like exactly. in, in the Pantheon. Yes. <gasps> make a new window and make it like part of the building rather than just tearing a chunk off it. Yeah, exactly. I did not look up where it was recorded, Leon. Do you know? I'm looking it up right now. I want to know, because this was pretty rad. Mm. Uh, It did look really great, both outside and inside, for the most part. I'm assuming that it's part real, part CGI. Do you think it's like a half-built airport, like Wales was building the airport of the valleys at the time? (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who just snuck in ahead of the opening ceremony. One of my notes is to say that maybe there's... This is before I realized that actually huge chunks of it are, I think, real. But I Could it felt... be that Berlin airport that they still haven't opened yet? Well, I felt like there might be a little bit of the Singapore airport in there and the Sydney Opera House <laughs> and the London Eye. I felt like at some point there's a bit where it looked like they had just made a collage of various things. But this is at the very beginning when we just get a panorama of it. And it really felt like, okay, they've made a collage of famous architectural designs turned it into one future building and then we get to see doc and bill walk inside of it and it's just like oh right this is a thing like this is a place not all of it but certainly certain corridors are real filming locations the city of arts and sciences i don't know i don't know okay i don't know i don't speak spanish ciudad de las arts y les <laughs> City of Arts and Sciences, yeah, anyway. In Valencia, Spain. Oh, right. Okay. It is the real setting for the colony planet. I think I've heard of that place. I'm Independently, freaking, because I'm freaking it is it now. architecturally oh amazing. Look at this. Google image search this. It is stunning. And I swear there's a chunk here that looks exactly like the Sydney Opera House. Wowee. Wowee. Yeah, okay. there it is. There it is. Yeah, I have seen this. Oh, I've been there. You've <laughs> been there? Yeah. It is really that. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What was that you were saying before, Drew, about burying the lead? <laughs> Pre-recording? Yeah. 
It took us <laughs> half an hour tonight, Podcast Land, to find out that Marie's got a residency permit, so she can carry on living in Germany. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now she's been to this place. Again, half an hour in. <laughs> yeah, that was a holiday where the campsite flooded and our tent nearly blew away, but it was all good fun. <laughs> oh, wow. It's all fun and games in the future. <laughs> it's its own problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, screw that entire thing I just said about it's a mishmash of famous architectural designs. Yeah. Regardless, it looks stunning. I understand why they've picked this as a location. Slash, I'm impressed that they were able to shoot there. Yeah, and they put it to mostly excellent use. Yeah, most excellent use. Mostly excellent use. There was a lead, there was an adverb, there was hedging. Okay, there was fine, doubt. sorry, that was, that was my Bill and or Ted excellent. It was good, it was very nice. Oh, thank it you. tied in with the B scale. Fantastic. <laughs> I have a point simmering away, which is, while all this oh. architecture is lovely and beautiful and great, there is the very point where the Doctor is saying, look at this wall. It's so perfect, it can only be built of nanobots. And it's the grimiest, streakiest wall covered in stains and concrete dripping. It's the single mankiest wall in the whole episode. Sorry, does he actually say... miracle about it. Wait, does he actually say, look at this perfect wall? No, I don't think he's... I don't think so I don't think he's saying it's a perfect wall. I think he's saying, look at this wall. Doesn't it just look exactly like a wall? Exactly. And then when he sonics it, it's like, oh, wow, surprise. It's actually made of robots. It's actually made of tiny little horny robots. Exactly. Okay, so, <laughs> but this is this is a wall built by dry brains. Why have they recreated our imperfect, wet brain, human 20th century concrete walls? There are other walls. There are walls in the very next scene where they're walking to the rivets and the meteor damage at the edge of where the old spaceship meets the rest yeah those walls are lovely and perfectly smooth and perfectly clear and would make a perfect wall that micro nanobots could feasibly have built the things you guys complain about sometimes boggles the mind seriously (laughs) this is a cool episode and you guys are like uh the quality of the cement was not up to scratch No problem with the quality of the cement. This is all true. (laughs) This may Um, seem like the stupidest, tiniest nitpick, but it just seemed like when the Doctor is showcasing what future technology is capable of, it's nothing more than what we already have. No, it's is no, it's so much better than what we already have, Drew. It's perfect, tiny, horny robots recreating. things from Earth's history. So they've all seen this video of like, there were the Egyptians and then there was lots of walls and then, the, you know, people died and flew away and blah, blah, blah. And they've yeah, but we still absorbed don't all the information. The concept of grief. We saw wait, 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 <laughs> wait, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I feel like I just missed a step there. Wait, so they've all seen a video of the Egyptians had walls and then they flew away. <laughs> So I think they've tried to recreate something. They're trying to make humans happy. And so they're trying to recreate a wall that we know and recognize as a wall. And therefore we'll feel safe and familiar. No, that's not doesn't work either because the humans have just left Earth. They don't want to find Earth recreated in all its bloody, gory splendor. They'll be like, oh shit, this is going to go exactly the same way as the last one. They want a clean break. This is supposed to be soaring, towering optimism. That's the whole point. It is soaring, towering optimism, but if it's too perfect, you don't trust it. Did you not watch The Matrix? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Utopia doesn't work. Exactly. You've got to make dingy it up a bit so people will believe it. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Who's up for rewatching The Matrix, by the way? (laughs) We just did, like, last week. (laughs) Nice. 
Matrix <laughs> 4 coming out this year. Oh. Yeah. Cool. I have a question. Ooh, ask away. Since when can Doc read the mind of disseparated people and skulls? He holds the skull and he like knows all about this person and he sees flashbacks. Wait, how? When? Yeah, exactly. How? When they're in the greenhouse and they open the thing where all the fertilizer's coming from and a bunch of skulls fall out and he picks up a skull and then he sees a little flashback of the woman being killed, basically. The scene that we see, he sees. So I don't think that's what's... Ha- I think that's just him deducing. I think that's him putting two and two together. One being, as in half of that equation rather, being the necklace that he finds in the orchard. And the other half being the heap of crania. But doesn't he do it again with the dead woman on the slab? Doesn't he like oh, does stand he? over her oh, head I missed that. I'm and sorry. touch her head and then say a thing? Because Bill's at the other end watching the video and then, like telling him what's on the video. But I'm sure he's contributing from her as well, isn't he? I thought the doctor also came to watch the video at that point. I, mm. I, I want to talk about the video. I want to talk about the creepy lady. And I really want to talk about this necklace situation. So maybe one at a time. Okay. Marie, you started with the necklace. Or sorry, you started with the skull and having that flashback thing. I don't think that's him reading the past of the object in his hands. I think that's him just starting to piece things together. In fact, one of my notes is that I love watching him starting to deduce the... I've actually said, I love watching the doc piece it together when he finds the necklace. Freaking verbatim, past me said that. And I think it's really nice. Can I add, with the breadth and depth of his experience of 2,000 years and this time period and everything around it, and he knows exactly where he is, and added to that, his ability to memorize a whole spaceship map schematic in like a few seconds, his incredible brain power can just create a lifelike image of the most likely thing to have happened, which the Doctor being as clever as he is, is exactly what happened. But I just didn't like how it was just exactly the thing that we saw. Like, he would have no way of knowing what these women looked like, what they were wearing, where they were when it happened. It just, it was too, if it was him deducing, we just saw the same scene that we'd already seen from a different angle. So it was too on the nose for me. So I think like that really is... Also, like a... I also agree with you now. I agree with whoever spoke last. <laughs> I, <This> think... <laughs> I think um, conceptually, in this case... Sorry, I'm very subjective, but I think conceptually, in this case, I am right. But I think in terms of the execution of this scene, you are right. But my interpretation of that is that it is the exact same as when someone goes, oh, we have surveillance footage of the bank robbery. Put it up on the big screen. And then what the police sees on the big screen is the scene that we, the audience, just saw of the movie where they perpetrate the bank robbery. It's like in every Star Trek movie. Oh, the ship exploded. Why is the CCTV footage of the ship exploded the scene from the movie where the ship explodes? I think that's the problem here. So when he deduces what's happening, quote-unquote, what he sees is the scene actually unfolding in the episode. That's my take on it. But enough wrongs to make a trope out of them doesn't make a right. I think (laughs) this is fine. I think this is fine. It's okay. Actually, going back to what you guys were saying about how he has so many frames of reference, he's been around for so long. Basically, he has encountered enough smiling robots, enough robots in his day, that sooner or later, surely the types of robots just come back around again. I mean, not the models, the makes of the robots, but the personality types of the robots. 
every time he meets a robot, he probably goes, oh, it's one of 511 recurring robot types I encounter over and over again in my life that spans thousands of years. This is either going to be a case of these robots grinding humans into calcium deposits, or it's going to be these robots turning humans into brothel workers. It's only one of those two. Oh, oh jinx, it was both. But in... <laughs> In that scene where he finds the necklace, he doesn't want to alarm Bill. He doesn't want to jump the gun. He doesn't want to speak, like, even think out loud because there are smile robots around. He wants to deduce everything on his own. He wants to figure it out in his head before he verbalizes it for Bill. That only takes place over the course of, like, maybe two minutes. And I love those two minutes. I think they're great. And Capaldi's incredible. I just don't think that comes across. And he does tell Bill straight away. Like, she asks where all the humans are, and he says, well, look at the fertilizer. She puts it together straight away. So I don't think there's anything about him not wanting to worry her. Well, when they're in the orchard, he doesn't say anything. When they're in the greenhouse, and he he has figured it out, he doesn't tell her right away. He tells her after they've gone out and around a corner, because inside the greenhouse, there is a smiling robot fertilizing, or not fertilizing, like um, pollinating a plant. No, Leon, you, you're misremembering because he says, let's put two questions together. How do you get the fertilizer and where are the colonists? He zaps the cupboard. The skulls all fall out. Bill understands enough for the interface robot to become an attack robot. And that's why they leave the greenhouse at full speed because she knows everything and they're oh. going to get killed. Oh. Yeah. I am misremembering. Capaldi's made exactly the same mistake that you couldn't forgive the woman at the beginning for. Okay, well, regardless, he doesn't do it immediately. I think we get a good couple of... No, seriously, don't make faces at me. We get a good couple of minutes of Capaldi fucking acting his ass off. We do. When he says, and do you remember my old theory? And he says, did I convince myself? The tone of his voice is so strange and there are so many things pulsing through it. Like, he is scared himself and he's figuring it out. Oh, yeah. mm, I, th- I think there's a lot happening in that scene that isn't verbalized. And part of the takeaway of it not being verbalized is the assumption that Doc is taking it very seriously. Because otherwise, maybe this is a Capaldi thing, actually. Maybe it's that. Like, imagine if it's Matt Smith, as he's figuring stuff out, he's bouncing all over the place and he's just talking out loud. If it's many of the classic Who Doctors as well, they're just talking out loud. They're techno-babbling into the air, or they're just basically Sherlocking into the air. Whereas Capaldi, he is doing all of that internally, and occasionally we get a glimpse of his face where he just looks so concerned. Like he looks really quite disconcerted by the circumstances and by whatever he's figuring out inside his incredible okay. skull. But this all happens before they find the skulls. And so the yeah. po- this is the thing I still have a problem with. It. He picks up the skull and then we see this sort of flashback. And that's not him deducing it because he's already done this really brilliant scene where you know what he's thinking. But, sorry, are you now see... saying that you do believe that he is somehow through some sort of ESP feeling the past life of this skull? Well, this is really how I read it. That's what it looked like to me, and I really didn't like it. I thought, we've seen him do it on an wow, Drew is nodding as well, podcast you know he can Drew read is minds. And he puts his hands either side of the forehead like he does when he does it to an alive person. And at that point, he knows exactly what's happened. So why why do we need that flashback? Yeah, It's very interesting. I really did not read it like that, but I love it as an interpretation. Oh, no, we hate it as an interpretation. It's like, shoot it in another way. (laughs) Don't leave that interpretation open. (laughs) I I was ready to go with your interpretation, but no, you're absolutely right. He does all this deducing. 
is a very, very nice scene, but that all happens before he finds the skull. Yeah, but could it not be that he picks up the skull and that just verifies all of his hypotheses? But it didn't need to show the scene again, I think. That confused me, if that's okay. not what it's supposed to be. All right, okay. Yeah. Just do it, like Marie says, slightly differently. You don't need to have the bones all clatter to the ground in the same formation as 15 minutes ago for us to remember what happened in the cold open. How stupid do you exactly. think we are? <laughs> and also, I would take issue with one point you said, Leon, where you were saying about how Capaldi's doing all this thinking that he's not vocalizing i think he's just got a more expressive face i think he's just got a better face as an actor so there's more going on under the surface but he's still talking at a rate of knots and having a conversation with bill and regardless of how much he does or does not try to hide from her within a couple of minutes he's set this robot off he's fucked it up yeah i actually really like that scene because we as an audience know what the doctor's thinking but bill doesn't like she's never traveled with him before she's never been in this situation with him before she only knows him as her lecturer and so he's asking mm. these questions and she's really chill and she's like yeah you sounded like you were telling the truth why wouldn't you be and she just doesn't really get it and you think about another companion that had been with him for longer or even maybe bill after she's had a few more adventures and that would be a real quick cue to go okay no something's wrong here but it takes her a long time to get it i think Hmm. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's just it's showing that their relationship is still quite new as traveling companions. Like yeah, they obviously I, know each other. Uh, seeing this sort of thing is incredibly new to her. Exactly. Yeah. She's not just dove straight in and replaced Clara. She's, exactly. She's still like finding her feet, which I think is really good. Yeah. Clara would have kicked that bottom panel and the skulls would have come right open and she'd have done three quarters of the talking for Capaldi in that scene. Yeah. Then Clara would have picked up one of the skulls, done a Vulcan mind meld with it, gone like, yeah, whatever, I've already fixed this and then gone and like reset <laughs> the computer. Yeah. Because she's a master hacker. Bing bong, future Drew back when, just adding something before we leave this greenhouse. I'd like to point out that Bill, the canteen worker at St. Luke's University, has never heard of Rosemary. Perhaps this is Frank Cottrell Boyce's comment on university cuisine? Who knows, bing bong. Bill had <laughs> a fantastic level of exuberance in this episode. Yeah. There are several points, certainly in the beginning, like in the first half of the episode, where I felt incredibly aware of her genuine smile. There was no forcing a smile for this character, you know, out of circumstance. It was just straight up genuine because she's so happy to be <laughs> in Slash a faraway in, planet. In Valencia, surrounded by the most amazing architecture. I yeah. mean, that must have helped. I'm not taking any way, <laughs> anything away from Pearl Mackey's range and ability as an actress because, my goodness. Yeah. But this would definitely, if I'm in Spain and it's fantastic. And Doctor Who is going to be like this all the time. Hooray. <laughs> And then next week they take it to Cardiff. I really liked when they're in the original spaceship and she's like walking through the corridors to try and catch back up with the doctor after he left her. And she's going through all the rooms with the old artifacts and stuff. And she comes across the video and blah, blah, blah. And throughout those scenes, she is terrified because these things are out to kill her. But she smiles then as well. And it was just this really cute little hark back to last week when she said she smiles when she doesn't understand things. I really liked that. Oh, oh, well done. I'd forgotten all that. Yeah, but just really, really small little, like, I'm terrified, but I'm still smiling. But none mm. of it felt like fake. It was very well done. Yeah. Yeah. A million and seven percent agree with you. Good. Thank you. <laughs> 
when we're talking about Bill catching up with the Doctor uh-huh. and being on the same page, by the end, they're exactly on the same page. They are saying things in unison. It's again when the Vardi are being acknowledged as a species and she and the Doctor, I, I've made a note, but I haven't quite got the context around it. They both say they were at the same time. I can't remember quite in relation to what, but it's just a bit of a shame that it's not, for me, set up sufficiently because suddenly for Bill to leap on it, there's nothing load-bearing underneath. It's like, how is Bill suddenly this on board with the Doctor's erroneous logic and faulty assumptions? Ah, I've just opened up the uh, transcript. That's the, there are robots, they were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's dead certain that the ownership of the robots is no more. And how? Where's her breadth of experience in this area? (laughs) Yeah. Mm, Yeah, true. Yeah, I'm with you on that. (laughs) I did fully agree with, uh, they killed our people. Yeah, but they've forgotten. So you can't hold that against them anymore. And is that an excuse? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, More criminals? Oh, I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, oh, wait, so the chap who oversaw Dachau or something, oh, he escaped the authorities and he's now semi-senile. That's okay, then. I they, mean, I guess they, they do a, Yeah, exactly. Marie's saying they don't punish them. They see whether they're fit to stand trial, don't they? And if they're not fit to stand trial, if they are too senile, they don't go through with it. Mm. So that's exactly what happens. I think it would have been better, though, to say they didn't understand what they were doing. Because rather than just we forgot, like you haven't learned anything from it, what's the guarantee that this won't happen again? Well, as we've discussed, yeah. zero guarantee. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no guarantee. Also, the city that they've built is built for purposes, built for humans. They've now forgotten that humans are there. Why is there still a city? Why wouldn't this whole city just in a matter of seconds turn into the perfect city for these smiley robots? And all the humans are, they're not going to make it, basically. Yeah, they can fight over the field of wheat. Yeah, exactly. Until they starve. They've forgotten all about humans, so they now don't know what they need to survive. So they're going to stop providing oxygen and water and all the things that humans need. Yeah. I think it's very quick to go from, they don't know what they're doing, they've killed you because they didn't understand. But now they're sentient beings and they're basically running the planet and that's enough we're going to walk off and just let them run the planet. Sure, there's a few steps between that. I don't mean to derail the topic, but I made a note, which was when the Doctor identifies that they are self-aware and they're alive, it suddenly makes what they were doing, killing all the humans, seem a bit less innocent. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're you're sentient, if you're sentient and alive, then surely you should value life and not just slaughter people. Yeah, they're not just following orders anymore. Yeah, that's so so true. Example back. Incredibly true. Yeah. 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 Oof, maloof. Okay. I mean, this story aspires to make a really good moral point, but in doing so, it makes 10 utterly antithetical ones. ones. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Do you think perhaps that the reason too many things get tied up at the end and too many things also we've now realized are left by the wayside is because too much is left up to the Sonic? That within the logic of this episode or of this universe, the Doctor with one flick of the Sonic 
cannot just reprogram, not just wipe the memory of these robots, but also reprogram their computers to still retain all the knowledge about what keeps humans alive. Don't change the constitution of this city. Leave all the bedrooms. I'm assuming there are bedrooms, you know, and toilets and so on and so forth. Showers. Don't burn the wheat. Sweep the skulls <laughs> under the rug. That sort of thing. <laughs> no, no. But, but it's all done with One Sonic, and we don't have to explain anything about it because that's it. Problem solved. Okay, so if he reprograms everything with this one blast of the Sonic, yeah. the problem with them in the first place was that they were trained to do something, they were given parameters, and then they became intelligent, and then they learned, and so they went outside their parameters, and then that's when they made mistakes. So is he sure that they are now safe because he's capped their capacity for learning? He's said that this is all you know now, and that will never change. Yeah, that doesn't that seem very is, moral. That doesn't yeah. seem very moral, yeah. And if that's not the case, they can relearn. Maybe they find out that people murder, that people aren't good. Yeah. He's leaving them in this dystopia. What happens when they have to seek vengeance? What happens when the people with the guns come and shoot them? How are they going to retaliate? I don't know. Yeah, either he resets them and denies this sentience and self-awareness and recognition of a species, and they're just robots again, and everything he's saying to the humans is wrong. No, actually, you can just take them back, and they are your robots, and this isn't their city. What am I talking about? Or, like you say, he denies their capacity to be individuals in another way. Yeah. There's no way out of it. Yeah. No. Oh, crap. <laughs> Oh, you guys are opening my eyes to a whole bunch of negatives here that I hadn't considered, and I really enjoyed this episode. Oh, sorry. No, don't apologize. <laughs> You're broadening my horizon here. You did mention a couple of other points before. I don't want us to get too far away from them. You, you mentioned the lady, and you mentioned the video. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else on this point, or, or shall we maybe move on to those points? The lady reminded me very much of the cat priest in the Waiting for God episode of Red Dwarf. Oh, good callback, Drew. Oh, thank you, Marie. Oh, well done. I really only have one question about the creepy lady. Why creepy lady? Why? What? Actually, those are two questions. <laughs> so, so why this... creepy lady? Why? <laughs> whoa, 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 creepy lady. <laughs> So she passed away of natural causes. Yeah. And then what? They decided to, like, open casket, bury her in a warehouse that no one goes to? I know. It's because it's all happened in the last three hours. So they went and lay her down there so people could go and pay their respects. Oh, it's been three hours? I didn't realize that. Yeah, because everyone died. Everyone died in the same morning. Because, yeah, I was thinking, why hasn't she started decomposing yet? But it's because it just, everything happened super, super quickly. (gasps) I didn't realize that. Which, again, is like the Doctor's daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay. It just I really struggle to believe that it would all just happen that quickly, though. That there would be no one. Going back to the woman at the beginning, she knew exactly what she had to do to not get killed. I struggle to believe that in that group of people, there's not one person that's leaning more towards the psychopath end of the scale that could just fake their emotions and just pretend to be happy and not... Oh, is creepy lady their mum? Is creepy lady their mum? I don't think they're all related. Because there were hundreds... When you saw on the video, Bill was scrolling up and there were lots and lots of dead people. It wasn't just a handful. No, that's true. But the thing that I can't remember what her name is now. Good person. Good thing. Good thing. The thing that she says to... Kezia. Is... (laughs) 
<laughs> our mum has died. Yeah. yeah. And then very quickly your... after that, and then this one, and then that one, and everyone else, yeah. Oh, I see, yeah. Okay. Maybe she was like a figurehead, and they all, like, out of respect, referred to her as the mother because she was the oldest one. Oh, maybe. But I don't think she's literally everyone's mum. No, I didn't mean, like, everyone's mum. I thought, like, maybe their mum. I don't remember. They, yeah, like, I didn't even pay attention, really, at the family photos or to the family photos in the video at the end. When we get to see the video of creepy ladies... <laughs> creepy lady. Oh. I'm going to say creepy lady because she's dead and she's in a warehouse, which is kind of weird, next to a fucking ebook. By the way, I'm not a fan of those ebooks. I'm not a fan of ebooks with, like, flashing, quote-unquote, historical imagery inside of them. They make me want to vomit into my own lap. It's the exact same thing as every single time in any sci-fi movie where they're like, here, learn about humanity. And then it's just like flashes from various documentaries and always that clip of like a dead fox decomposing in a forest. And like, <laughs> uh, oh, no, and here are Nazis marching. And oh, yeah, oh here's an, an earthquake. And that's not enough to teach anyone about anything. I'm guessing A Clockwork Orange has a lot to answer for in this regard. You know what? Clockwork Orange did spring to mind, and I feel like that might be the only time that that's been done well. <laughs> yeah. But also, why is it at this woman's feet? Yeah. The people that are going there to pay her respects, they know about the history of Earth. They've escaped from it. Who's it for? Yeah. Why isn't Good it question. just a photo album going around and showing well, her life? That is the equivalent of a photo album. It's like, this is this woman's family tree. We've done a lot of research. It goes a long way back. <laughs> we were thorough. Yeah, she's Eve's great, 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 great granddaughter. But she deserves it because she was creepy lady number one. Yeah. Can I say a couple of things about the cameo parts played in this episode? Oh, by, please. By some of this woman's relatives. The woman oh, who plays really? good... Well, no, 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 a fictional relative. Oh, right, okay, sorry. Yeah. The woman who plays good <laughs> thing cool. is Mina Anwar. And she has a previous connection to Doctor Who. Ooh. Ooh. Let's hear it. She played Gita, or Gita, I'm not sure, Chandra, in 18 episodes of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Mm. And wow. was also wow. central enough to appear in the Farewell Sarah Jane short from last year. Oh, oh well, wow. Yeah. And in terms of what else she's done, she also used to be Constable Habib on the Thin Blue Line. Does anyone remember that? Is that Rowan Atkinson? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Is it? Because I haven't seen it since the <laughs> 90s and I loved it in the 90s, but uh, I wouldn't dare watch it now. <laughs> I also loved it in the 90s and have not even had access to it since then. So, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen it talked about too much in rewatch circles. Maybe it's not the reason. one that Atkinson is remembered for. No, it's not. But I liked it back in the day. And she was called Constable Habib because Rowan Atkinson has a speech impediment saying B. That's exactly why there's always a bob in Blackadder, because nothing tickles Ben Elton more than Rowan Atkinson barely being able to say a B. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll let the uh, woman who played Kezia go, because all I've got is bad things to say about her, and we don't need to do that. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll keep it short. It's just the way she says, I've been out since second sunrise. I'm hungry. She cannot deliver a line. Oh, no. Oh, bless. 
Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> I just had a question about the small child Ooh. and where he comes from, why he's the first one out by a long time and why he's so creepy. Is he out? Oh, this is a good question. Is he among the people who have been awakened from the pods or was he there possibly for the wake? Yeah, and was made sleepy by his grief, went off to a unmarked bedroom somewhere and woke up hours later and everyone's dead. Oh, you think he's just come out of a regular sleep, not a deep sleep? Yeah, I, I thought he'd so. been in a pod. I don't think there's anything to tell us either way. If the person who was killed in the orchard and whose cranium potentially allowed the doctor to do a Star Trek mind melt, if she had a necklace with a hologram of that kid, the exact same age that he is now, awake and waving, they are from the same time period. As in, like, he hasn't been in cryogenic sleep for like 200 years, whilst other people in generations have been working here. That was only a theory. They might not have been in cryogenic sleep. That was just to explain something else that didn't make sense earlier in the episode. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> the locket itself doesn't make any sense unless they wake up at different times. But how do they know that? I no, mean, they, makes no, no, perfect it, sense. For her to have a locket of the kid waving, yeah. she would have had to make that back on Earth with no. the foreknowledge that no. she would wake up earlier. No. And have a reason no. to take it off her neck, look at it and be like, there's my boy still in slumber. No. He'll wake up in a few more weeks. I miss him for now, but I'll see him soon. Put it no. back on again. Why do you keep saying no? No, because they could clearly just have taken a future Polaroid of the kid on this planet before the robots went ape nuts. But what sort of stupid use is that? She's going to see him then in 20 minutes. Why has she got this locket around her neck? It doesn't mean anything well, if he's she, right there most of the time. Well, it's motherly love, isn't it? She can't be away from her little super annoying waving kid who just keeps waving at everything. Fucking nuisance. Like, <laughs> she, she, she can't be away from him for longer than like an hour before she feels a longing for him because she loves him. So she takes out her little locket and looks at her space Polaroid. She's like, oh yeah, that's what he looks like. I keep forgetting. Oh, always waving. Oh. And that's why she was one Drew. of the first to die, because she's so racked with grief that he's having a nap. <laughs> How many photos of Abby slash Evie do you have around your house at the minute, Drew? Plenty yeah. around my house, none around my neck. What, what's on your, your phone? On your phone, on your phone Drew. Yeah, what's your so WhatsApp avatar? What's your WhatsApp yeah. avatar, Drew? I'll tell you what, I'm going to wipe everything off my phone apart from one picture of Abby. Because I don't need anything else. I don't need WhatsApp, I don't need Facebook. All I need is one picture. That is the sole reason that technology needs to exist. Make sure I mean, she's waving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if she's not waving, I'm going to be incandescent. I'm stuck with this now and you're just standing still. <laughs> I deleted the camera. No, I can't take another picture. <laughs> Here she is right now. <laughs> he says and waves. <laughs> I can't help it. Oh, we've been talking about it so much. You don't want to know, no. Look, it's the pooch. Hi, Evie. Biscuits. Abby, biscuit. Abby, said, Abby said, I heard you talking about something about keeping one picture of me like a creep. This is a whole <laughs> planet full of creeps. This woman is creepy to have this locket with this picture. It's not normal behavior. <laughs> Lockets with pictures of loved ones in them have existed forever. Yeah. 
This is perfectly normal behavior. And gone to the great beyond, not to the bedroom. This is a classic, if not even stereotypical, piece of evidence that she is a good person, capable of caring for other people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll call it a draw. (laughs) I don't think anyone's happy. (laughs) Thanks for your question, though, Marie. Yeah, good question. Leon, have you got a point? Yeah, okay. So the ship is called the Erehuan. Oh, yes. Which is nowhere backwards. Now, two questions. What? Why? Because why? (laughs) I guess this just really, really... It confounds me because it seems so very obviously the reverse of nowhere. But the R isn't back to front. So if the R had been back to front, then maybe I think it was like, you know, when ambulances have the word ambulance written backwards on the bonnet. Come uh, on, like, right, it's right. the spaceship in front of you that yeah, needs to be exactly. in the rearview mirror. That's the thing. Like, imagine if you're on the motorway and you look in the rearview mirror and it says nowhere on an approaching spaceship, but you're then going to just like switch lanes. Is that what's happening? No, you're not going to because it's a freaking spaceship. Yeah. And you're not going to like see it in your rear view mirror. You'll notice that it's there. And like, even if you see it in your rear view mirror, no one's reading the word off the door. So why is this thing called the Erehuan? Well, Leon, are you aware that there is a novel called Erehuan? No. Oh, there is. I'm getting this from Wikipedia, I admit. I knew it was a novel. Everything else is from Wikipedia. It was written by Samuel Butler, first published anonymously in 1872. Oh, yes. And it's a satire on Victorian society. It's about a fictional country discovered and explored by the protagonist, says Wikipedia. Oh. But I don't get the significance <laughs> and why they've yeah. picked it. Well, if they're discovering a new country, then maybe that's enough of a Hang on, to hang it. on. I have read another paragraph. The novel oh, is yeah. one of the first to explore ideas of artificial intelligence. Oh, dag nabbit. So it's actually a perfect reference. You know what? This episode just got a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Nice, nice one, boys. Nice one. Nice one, Samuel Butler and Frank Cultural Boys. <laughs> I'll edit that so that it sounds seamless. Perfect. <laughs> In fact, I'll pitch shift. So you're going, Frank, <laughs> Yeah, please, share me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in life after Earth? <laughs> I you were say, Do you believe in Frank Cottrell, boys? <laughs> I do now. <laughs> so those are my 10 pence. Who's next? I just wanted to carry on a theme we brought up last time, which was the super soft reboot, not really a reboot, bringing back feels of the first series. Because we are following a very similar pattern here. Doc asks Bill, make your choice, past or forward. Oh, yeah, at the start, in the TARDIS. And Eccleston asks Rose, you tell me, where do you want to go, backwards or forwards in time? (gasps) Eccleston, is that you? (laughs) Whoa. Rose says forwards, she doesn't give a reason. But the point is, we've had the introductory episode. We have now gone forward to, in Rose's case, the end of the world here, just barely past the end of the world. Mm. And next week, we're going back to the 19th century, which is exactly what they did when they met Charles Dickens. Yeah. So following the exact same pattern across multiple episodes. You're looking it up. I am. I'm Googling N003, who back when, first result, the unquiet dead. Bingo. Nice. Good SEO, Leon. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) If you search for our name and the name of our post, we end up close to the top. Well done, (laughs) me. Amazing. (laughs) 
I think we've talked about this before, and I think they do, for the first few episodes at least, they always tend to follow a little bit of a formula with a new companion. I was going to say the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and they always jump super, super far forward to the end of something, and then back into the Victorian times usually, and and then you meet a Dalek, and it's all... Exactly, Except Bill's already met a Dalek. Exactly. Wow, let's see, yeah. So if we do season two, Christmas Invasion. Oh, that's a Christmas episode. New Earth going to the future. Tooth and Claw going to the past. Season three, Runaway Bride, Christmas. I mean, I guess this is just what we're doing. Christmas, yeah. Yeah. Smith and Jones, which is present day, but it's a very sci-fi present day. Shakespeare Code going back. Season four, Voyage of the Damned, Christmas in the future. Partners in Crime, present day. Fires of Pompeii. Classic, mm. not classic, historical. So the third one seems to always be a historical. Yeah. Season five, Victory of the Daleks. Hang on, I'm just doing the third episode now. Season six, oh shit, it's already broken. <laughs> oh. Day of the Moon. But then the fourth episode there is Curse of the Black Spot, which I guess is sort of pseudo-historical. Yeah, and it follows a two-parter opener. So it's sort of basically the third episode. Yeah, maybe this is just a thing that they do. It really does seem that way. Yeah. Oh, Interesting. Super duper interesting, you guys. If you think like some new viewers might pick up on a new series, even if it's not a new companion, they're just showing you the breadth of what we can do in the TARDIS. So we've got the far future and then the past, and then whatever they do with the rest of it is kind of up to them. But you've seen the time and space. Because if you just went to the future, like if you just went to a different planet, you wouldn't get the time travel aspect in there. Oh, yeah. It's got to be where are we along human civilization's trajectory. Yeah, true. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Marie, bring us home. I only just had one little final point, which was... So the Doctor's solution when he runs to the TARDIS with Bill and then he's like, wait one sec, I'm just going to go and blow this whole thing up. Um, Watch a film or something. Really, really felt like a massive plot hole because he's already said to her, the last remnants of humanity are on their way here, expecting these robots to have built them a survivable habitat, basically. What the hell are they going to do yeah, when they, they arrive here and everything's destroyed point. and there's no food for them? And we don't know if the atmosphere is breathable or if the robots have done something to the building or whatever. Or it just does not think. Oh, there's, holy there's smokes. No... Yeah. That's such a good point. Why doesn't he go like, oh, I've got a hankering to go and turn off these robots. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. you've done it again. Oh, oh my goodness. First Classic. she destroys economy, then she destroys this episode. Uh, like an assassin. <laughs> Frank Cottrell boys taken to task. <laughs> oh, wow. That oh, was a yeah. fucking samurai slice through the neck of this episode. Yeah. You just fruit ninja to this plot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, at exactly that point, I really didn't like the well-worn trope of stay away from my browser history. Because no. you, your mind only goes to one place, and I don't need to be thinking about the Doctor doing that. What, jacking it? Yeah. It's a kid's show, man. Maybe it's mm. not what he's... Maybe it's that he's <laughs> dealing in illegal arms on the <laughs> dark web. You know, <laughs> maybe it's other really nefarious stuff. It doesn't have yeah, to be. He's the one porn who designs these robots. So when the kaching happens at the end, they're going to be funneling all their profits straight into his pockets. Yeah, stay away from my browser history because it's all about which banks in the Cayman Islands are best at keeping secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Or maybe he's doing a seventh doctor thing and he's manipulating Bill thousands of years in advance, like with Ace. And he's like, you don't want to look at that computer. There's nothing of interest to you there, apart from you and everything about you. I don't know this. What is this? I feel like you can say it, this and no, I'm going to forget about it in two years' time when we get to the seventh doctor. <laughs> it will all be made clear in The Curse of Fenric. Oh, Curse of Fenric. Yes, all right. Cool. Gra- uh, Grant. Rad. Grand. <laughs> Grant. <laughs> but of course Rand. that's not what... <laughs> Sorry, I'm still doing it. Of course that's not what the showmakers were intimating. They were just making a cheap, smutty joke. And it's like, oh, we don't need that. Spend 10 extra seconds fashioning a serviceable resolution. Could it not also be that he's just embarrassed to be Googling... Ex-companions, things? Clara, Don... <laughs> Uh, where's where's Clara now is what he's been Googling. Yeah. Or maybe he's, stay away from my browser history because it's all just submitting to One Direction fan forums, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be, uh, I hate to say this, but you guys are really quite infantile. It's always about sex with you guys, sex and porn oh. and drugs. <laughs> I'm always the voice of reason on this podcast, and yeah, quite frankly, it's getting really quite difficult. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? The voice of moderation and abstemiousness. That's me. Honestly, with your <laughs> monastic <laughs> temperament, you put us to shame. The heart is right. That's, that's my monastic the chart. Heart <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Shall we uh, wrap this up and give Podcast Land some ratings? Yeah, let's do that. Oh, stay away from my ratings history podcast land. <laughs> <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Recording. Okay, Leon, I suggest that because you audibly groaned when you finished writing this rating, that you go first <laughs> so that Marie and I don't drag you down anymore. Just get it out of your system now and then we can be negative afterwards. How's that? Spoilers, it's still pretty high. <laughs> oh, no, really? I want to hear what your original score was as well. All right, here we go. I mean, I already admitted this at the top of the review, but I found myself really quite enjoying this episode. It's fun. It's fast-paced. It's fanciful at times, fantastical. If I have to judge it for any characteristics of its narrative sinus curve, the way that we often do, it'll be judging it on account of its lows, because it deals with the excitement of the highs almost exactly as well as it doesn't the slow, dramatic, low bits. Like, the kid. Oof. Okay? Oof. Oof, maloof. The e-book, please, spare me. The soliloquy at the end and the slum landlord robots. (laughs) That's just a straight-up yikes, okay? But it had me in other parts, and that may just have been enough. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, it's going to be so much higher than yours. Okay, Bill. Bill is wonderful in this episode. Her exuberance and enthusiasm, as well as her fear at finding out her own species will evolve to destroy itself. Wow, super impressive. Can't you call the police, she says. And then we feel her excitement at realizing they've been traveling in a police box. That's a nice moment. Capaldi, ofs. (laughs) What a chap. He acts the pants off this episode. I want to see the R-rated scene where he really goes to town on it. You don't steer the TARDIS, you negotiate with it, was one of his lines that I noted. Very nice. Also, the bit about the Scottish negotiating independence all across the universe, that made for a bit of a topical chuckle. The concept itself, 
of an artificial intelligence mood ring that determines whether we live or die. That's frankly a little clever. Grief as a plague. Also clever whilst being whimsical enough to tickle my classic Who nerve endings. In general, oh god, whatever, it's not as high as I intended. <laughs> but it is pretty high nonetheless. I don't know what you guys think that I'm giving this. I'm giving this a 3.6. And what were you going to give it before we started? A 3.9. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Like r- on the cusp of a 4. High. On the cusp of a 4. Yeah. We haven't done that much damage, really, have we? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's down to his stubbornness. I think Podcast Land will give us more of a fair hearing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Marie, do you want to tell him why he's wrong, or should I? I'll go now. I think I actually enjoyed this episode, too. I know that I've spent a long time picking holes in it. But it is. The line that you wrote at the start, Leon, I wrote down too. And I also wrote the following line, which was the still point between where you want to go and where you need to be, which is always where he ends up. And it was so lovely. And I think that scene was really beautiful. Yes. Yeah. You were too busy writing down the first bit. You missed the second bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I think that Bill and the Doctor have a lovely chemistry the whole way through i think all the moments with them are really really lovely some of it was laugh out loud funny the settings were gorgeous the concept of these teeny tiny robots was really cool i didn't understand why bill was not impressed with teeny tiny microscopic robots that can move as one i thought they were really cool oh we see them all the time in the kitchen at bristol university (laughs) (laughs) so we made the chips yeah like no <laughs> she was more impressed with the smile, the emoji robot, which was rubbish. That looks like robots that we have today. Like that didn't seem like that much more advanced. Anyway, yeah. that's by the by. It was a fun episode, but as soon as you stop to think about anything, it just falls flat. There are so many plot holes. Oh, it no. just none of it holds up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think. It might have been heavily influenced by the fact that I watched a documentary literally last night about artificial intelligence and how it is basically destroying the world. <laughs> and the basic premise of that was that you can't have intelligence without morals. Like uh-huh. artificial intelligence doesn't, you give it parameters and it just then goes wherever it wants to go and humans have no control over it. And we should basically not let computers run our lives and that's exactly what the doctor did at the end he's just like off you pop now these robots that control (laughs) everything and are everything and create your food and create your oxygen and whatever and look after you yeah you're safe in their hands even though they've basically wiped you out once already and could easily do it again it's fine off you go and it just felt like such a lame resolution We've had it before where there's like two species that need to share the planet and we've had massive negotiations and arguments and fights over how we can survive codependently. And yeah, it just felt a bit weak in that respect. So all in all, I think it's not as low as it probably sounded because I know it was a bit negative throughout, but I had fun. It's a good looking episode. I'm going to give it a sort of a middling 2.8. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. (laughs) That's a little higher than I thought you were going. Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to step in. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> it's not as bad as you think, Leon. Okay. I remembered this from 2017 without fondness. So I thought I'd give it a chance. I watched it twice. The first time, I, like both of you, enjoyed it in the moment. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought, wow, I really recalled that incorrectly. 
It's thrilling to see a cutting-edge vision of the far-flung future in Doctor Who that doesn't look cheap. It's nice to see them push the envelope. I feel like that doesn't happen all that often. Then I watched it a second time, and I caught a lot more of the problems that we've discussed tonight, and like the Doctor, I pressed the reset button on my rating. Chief among the problems is Doc and Bill should be dead so many times. This is worse (laughs) than Home Alone. They have about 100 metres to run through the city with basically an infinite number of murderous nanobots swarming overhead. And then they can pursue them into the field because that's what's been established. They could have been killed 10,000 times over. And that's what I remembered. That's what I carried with me for four years. It colored my memory of the episode, which is why I didn't anticipate enjoying this at all. I did enjoy it somewhat. But let me continue. The robots are either conscious killers or so dumb it's unconscionable that they haven't heard of the concept of grief when they're servicing a ship of refugees who have lost their home world, whose link with their history, their geography, their very evolutionary biology has been severed. It's a massive oversight. I mean, I'm pretty white, but that sounds like a pretty white standpoint, Frank Cottrell voice. (laughs) (laughs) Takes one to know one. The doctor stands around, (laughs) just casually saying pods, pods, with time to spare. When there's a wrench wedged in the engine, overheating the spaceship that's about to blow up everything in it, including them, show a little urgency. (laughs) There's the 2D map of the 3D ship. Just add an effect and it'll work. (gasps) But they don't. The doctor goes down ladders. He descends levels. They're all on the flat map somehow. I like Bill's smart-ass shtick to an extent. She asks about seatbelts, points out Doc never thought of bringing the seats a bit closer. Because that's followed up by you don't steer with the TARDIS, you negotiate exactly the lines you've quoted, that's fine. But there are some lines here that are visibly out of place and don't set up better lines like that, such as when Bill calls the robots disappointing, which you also commented on, which is only there so that Doc can tell her not to make offensive remarks about robots and to set up the laughably incoherent ending. Another thing, as soon as Doc goes into the engine room, the robots switch to skulls, so no humans are allowed in the engine room. But enough picking. Capaldi is top-notch, as usual. Bill is so much fun, her enthusiasm does excuse a lot. Seeing the both of them grimace with their rictus grins, their way past those two suspicious interfaces, warily watching them past. It's a beautiful moment. Please put a screenshot of that on whobackwhen.com. It's wonderful. (laughs) And there are very dry and very droll lines, like, I'll never run out of battery again. Welcome to paradise. And the exteriors, we said, look so great in terms of their expansiveness. You really could believe this planet is this enormous planetary structure surrounded by sea and wheat prairies for hundreds of miles. It fires the imagination. So, in sum, it's below average, but not miles below average, 2.2. Nice. All right. Yeah, I mean, that's around about where I expected both of you to be. (laughs) (laughs) Good spread. Excellent minis (laughs) from both of you. Something has just dawned on me. Why on the map doesn't Capaldi see and subsequently memorize all of the pods? Surely that must be on the map somewhere. I think that that's covered by Bill saying there's this massive space around the engine room. But that it should be pods is weird. Yeah. There's no other reason for Bill to say that. But why would you put all the pods right around the combustible engine? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, if the engine goes in deep space, you are fucked. But I it took still, empty... it's an odd design choice. Yeah, I took the empty space to be just the Return of the Jedi tube. You know, when one of the smiley robots, Return of the Jedi, is down. He Emperor Palpatine's down the chute. I took that to be the empty space. I feel like there definitely should be one massive rectangle somewhere on this map that just says human mankind pod hanger or something like that. Oh shit, you saying mankind reminds me of another thing. Capaldi says, I've met a lot of these ships. They're everywhere. And then five minutes later he's saying, the entire population of Earth is on this ship and we stand to wipe everybody out. Yeah, oh no, you're right. Oh sorry, you're so right. I I did react to that as well at the time. Well, not the multiple ships, but the fact that this should be the only one, because really my reaction was, how many endings to mankind have we had already in Doctor Who? Like, Utopia, isn't that also the last of mankind? And that's a different planet. Oh, but that's set right at the end of the universe, so that's the final final. Fine, but that's still another planet, so other people will have gone there. Oh, so the Doctor shouldn't be so distraught at the possibility, because there is no possibility of wiping out the human race. Yeah, and in Classic Who, we've had tons of just future humans in various places. We had New New York, which is on some other planet, isn't it? New Earth, I believe. New Earth, yeah. Isn't it? Oh, sorry, you're sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm being an idiot. Yeah, that's a different planet, and it's not this planet. And is that what? Is that in the past? Is that in the future? Regardless, it seems like this is pretty far from the last of mankind. That's not to say that it wouldn't be a tragedy if all these people died. That'd be horrible, obviously. But you could set it up as Capaldi saying, this is like a pinch point. From here is where many more ships go out. The script contradicts itself, not the rest of Doctor Who, but itself just a few pages earlier. Oh, sweet bazongas. That's a very healthy retro rewrite. Oh, I remember the name of this planet. It's in all the history books as that spaceport that mankind used to fly off into even deeper space. Yeah. Dagging nabbits. Frank! 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 So do you think Podcast Land is mostly on your side or on my side? I think they're mostly on Marie's side. Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Marie, shall we hear what Podcast Land has to say about how great and accurate your mini was? Let's. <laughs> Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Just glamour blonde, Podcast Land. <laughs> You've landed in the you content part of this episode. <clears throat> let's see what you got. We've got five <laughs> Listener minis tonight. That's a whole whoop, 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 whoop handful. <laughs> Wow. Holy smogs. You should be a hype man. (laughs) Good stuff. So speaking for our collective thumb tonight, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Hi, Kieran. Kieran begins. Hi, folks. Our first future trip proper of this series, and I generally like this one. The general plot isn't exactly new, but I feel it is done well here. The emoji aspect was a worry before first watch, but actually it's used fairly well. The worried one with the raised eyebrow fits Capaldi so well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) A planet where you must be happy, otherwise you could end up dead. Had the writer watched Seventh Doctor Story of the Happiness Patrol? (laughs) The location was well picked and used with really nice cinematography, helping to sell the new alien world. Bill and the Doctor's relationship is continuing to develop from last ep, 
and I enjoy her learning more about the Doctor. I quite like the, you must have really high blood pressure, really high, exchange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. However, it's a bit convenient to the plot that the Doctor found the locket from the mum of the boy that wakes up first, so they know that his mum is in fact dead. Actually, the episode is surprisingly grim in tone on rewatch. Again, the juxtaposition fits with the happiness patrol comparison quite well. And humans being humans try to shoot their eyes of danger, only to lead to more problems. Yep, that's very on point. Deleting the robot software to save the day feels familiar as a plot resolution, though I'm not sure where it's from. And Kieran Evans gives this a rating of continuing the good start to the series, 3.6 out of 5. Kieran, you know ratings really well. Well done, Kieran, you know ratings. Kieran, you have a locked down dead cert electronic van sale right here. Just <laughs> you can sell you on almost anything at this point. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you could probably sell him two Evans. Yeah, there. I am taking my business to KJ Evans. What, Marie? <laughs> It's two. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Thank you very much, Kieran. Excellent rating from an excellent chap. (laughs) Excellent events from an excellent chap. (laughs) Who's next? Why, it's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hi, Andy. What ho gang, says Andy, uh, what ho to you. Doc whisks Bill off to the future and slap bang into a human colony with emoji bots and deadly nanobots. It has a very similar feel to Steven's dog. There we go. Story, the happiness patrol. Just without the walking, talking, licorice, all sorts guy. Ugh, ugh, gross. Bertie Bassett, you mean? Yeah. I've only seen still images of that. I hate licorice. I'm going to be so uh, reviled what? by that episode. What do you mean, what? Why do I hate licorice? Licorice is the best. Have we not had this conversation? It's the flavor of racism <laughs> and broken dreams. It's the worst thing ever. So watching that episode will be like when JD had to listen to Hot House. Yeah, that's the perfect comparison. <laughs> I can't wait. Back to Andy's uh, mini. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Andy continues. <laughs> The Doc and Bill are fabulous in this. Bill's wide-eyed wonderment, countered by Twelve's dour demeanor, their relationship reminds me a little of the fourth Doctor and Leela. The sets and locations are fantastic too. I think possibly one of the best ever. Sadly, what's lacking is pacing. It's not a unique problem to New Who. The story just feels so rushed. This leads to Doc making massive jumps in conclusions just to get to the final outcome. It's a shame, because the beginning part of the story was so well done. Mm. I mean, that's fair. We've acknowledged that difficulty for previous episodes. Just needed a redraft. Some, some tweaks. Yeah, maybe more Some time. surer handling in the third act. More time? Would more time have helped? Beefing this up like, into a one-hour one? I feel like they could have taken time away from the beginning. Oh, really? To, to give to the end, yeah. Sort of wandering around quite so much. Yeah. In fact, just take Nardole out of the beginning. Yes, you know what? Yes, I agree. Oh my god, we totally didn't even mention him. I sort of forgot he was in it. I know. Yeah, Yeah, you could have easily removed Nardole and not missed it. Oh well, Andy veers back into likes territory. The first like is, I'm not Scottish, I'm angry. (laughs) 
The second like is, there's a giant smiley abattoir over there, and I'm having this childish impulse to blow it up. Yes, that was a good line. Mm-hmm. And Andy finishes up with some... The doctor identifies the various sentient, then goes right ahead and mind wipes them. This doctor is far too fond of mind wiping. Yeah, that's point. true. Yeah. Wait, that's so true. That was his proposed <laughs> solution for Bill the last time is what he did with... Oh my goodness, what? Yeah, he seemed so restrained, but he couldn't wait even an hour. It's the Ray-Bans. He's suffering from Men in Black syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's next beef is very interesting. Accusing the colonists of slavery is a little harsh. Mm. Mm -mm. Preach, Andy. The humans develop tech to make their lives easier. How are they supposed to know they'd become sentient? (laughs) And he concludes with a final beef. Are emojis really going to be the form of communication that survives into the future? Adding in brackets, sad face emoji. (laughs) I mean, I didn't understand any of that apart from the bit at the end. (laughs) Yeah, solid parenthesis. Hmm. (laughs) Crosses all language barriers. Andy concludes, a story that starts brilliantly but fades into a disappointing ending is salvaged by some wonderful visuals and cracking performances of Capaldi and Mackie. I wonder if they'd made it a two-parter and fleshed it out a bit, it might have been better for it? That's true about all sorts of episodes, but we're 12 years in at this point. They should know roughly what structure to adopt. Yeah, the timing hasn't changed. They know exactly what they can do in 45 minutes. Still, love your charitable impulse, Andy. And Andy gives this an award of 2.8 emoji badges out of 5. Ooh! ooh. Holy smokes! Fantastic review, Andy. (laughs) Love it. Andy, you're really good at Marie's rating. (laughs) That's why good Andys give good ratings. You basically were singing The Neighbours, didn't you? You just didn't know it. Uh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marie, are you going to look up Andy online and tell him what a great rating he gave? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. I'm right on it. I'm going to find him at Caffrey 71 That's 71. What, Drew? Caffrey's! <laughs> <laughs> very nice, Andy. Thank you very much. Who is next? Doobie, 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 yeah, yeah. You've got to get it out of your system. Just go and watch some neighbours. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> next up, we have the awesome Alfie. Hello, awesome Alfie. Alfie starts, well, this was an episode I can sum up easily, but how should I do it? No, I know. I'll sing. Alfie don't like it. I don't know which melody to use. Rock Alfie the don't like it. it. Rock the yeah. Doctor. Rock the Doctor. It was like the first episode. I think you should let Drew sing that one. Yeah, go for it. I know. I'll sing. Alfie don't like it. Rock the Doctor. Rock the Doctor. It was like the first episode. Just a bit boring. Although the literal skeleton crew was spooky. Also, who programmed these robots to have a spooky death face emoji? Probably Elton from season two. I don't know. I'm just trying to make this interesting. (laughs) Sorry, Alfie. It's going to take a lot more than that. But overall, you give this one a two out of five, with which I heartily agree. And that's from the emoji speaking. Awesome, Alfie. Rock on, fingers. (laughs) Lightning ball. 
pretty much all three of our ratings on our represented in yeah, podcast. If anything, I was too generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to revise your opinion, Drew. <laughs> very good stuff, Alfie. Thank you very much. Who's next? Dooby dooby doo. No, I'm not going to do it. Who's next? <laughs> <laughs> Why our ring finger review tonight is from Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Love you, Michael. What up, Michael? Michael starts with some likes. First like. Cute service robots in a luxury complex gone bad. Perhaps an homage to a certain seventh, seventh doctor, doctor story, Paradise Towers. Oh, that's a different one to the one that's been cited twice already. Exactly. Very yeah. interesting. Mm-mm. I loved the countdown emojis to Death's Head and uh, the mystery compost reveal. Nice comedy moments with Doc and Bill smiling their way out of the complex. Mm, yes, I believe I cited that specifically, Michael. Yeah. Well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael's third light is beautiful location shots and special effects. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, definitely. Michael then jumps into a list of beefs. First beef. Was it a little too similar to the old Amy Samurai episode? Even the white robots were familiar. Yeah, and in oh, fact, yeah. she drew a smile on one of them and called it Rory Robot. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, in answer to your question, Michael, yes. Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> And Michael thinks it would have been nastier if the robots did the killing rather than rely on the nanobots. They were still a little too harmless. Yeah, they could have killed them with hugs. They just hugged them to death. (laughs) Squeezed them to death. Yeah. And Michael's third and final beef is the rushed resolution and total over-reliance on the sonic screwdriver. Has this even resolved the problem? Surely the robots will revert to their homicidal tendencies as soon as people pop their clogs and others <gasps> grieve for them. Yes! Exactly, Michael. Doobity doop. <laughs> Sorry, Negroni. Yeah, good point. In summary, Michael says, mostly, and then adds a smiley emoji. <laughs> and he gives this a rating of 3.2 out of 5. Sad shepherds turn to compost. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Very good stuff. Thank you very much, Michael. Excellent, as always. People who are not Michael can follow Michael how? Where they can go to bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. On the Twitter box. That's right. Where Michael is the so biggest of them all. Oh my goodness, so big. But Michael didn't make the reference that you predicted, Drew, so now no one will know what you were thinking. Oh, that's about true. The of yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, who could possibly guess what I was thinking about those two characters running through the fields of wheat? Oh, yes. In that hostile environment, etc., etc. Yeah. We have one more listener mini, the pinky of this hand. Why, it is the... Eddie! I don't know what that was. Oh, my God. That was the most glam rock you've ever been, Drew. Oh, Eddie, I wish you had seen that. That was amazing. I just didn't have a clue what to do. (laughs) Bravo. Bravo. Any second now, you're going to tear that black T-shirt off and just reveal a sequined, glittering, (laughs) glimmering onesie. (laughs) I have a sequined top made entirely of sequins. 
Yes. You do not. The very next time I see you, Leon, I will be wearing that sequin top post-lockdown celebration. Please do. It's so itchy, but so worth it. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Should we get back to Eddie Rock? Yeah, let's do it. Eddie begins. Hey, who back when? Hey. I'm happy to... Eddie is happy to report that he would say this episode rocks. Yes, this is one of Eddie's favorite episodes of series 10. Eddie continues, I love when a series can take an adorable adversary like the adipose or yes, even the who are the petting? I'm um, that up. And make them a legitimate threat, which is done beautifully here when the Vardy start dusting innocent people early on in the episode. However, much like the aforementioned baddies, they are not inherently evil. True, they borrow a little too much from the Thanos Guide to Peace and Happiness, but ultimately they are legitimately trying to help. The whole communicating by emoji thing is pretty silly, but it does add to their charm and provide some well-done moments of tension and dread. Eddie continues, Bill is absolutely charming here when she's so excited to see proper robots and be on an actual spaceship. Watching her learn who the Doctor really is and how he operates in these early episodes is a real treat and her performance really captures how she feels about each new revelation about him. Capaldi continues to impress with his ability to deliver his witty one-liners and seamlessly transition into heavy tension, all while spouting captivating exposition that in anyone else's hands could easily come off as forced or droll. Eddie concludes, overall, I give this fun futuristic episode a 4.2 out of 5 entries the Doctor doesn't want you to find in his browser history. (laughs) Catch you next, Thames. (laughs) Until then, rock on. (laughs) You rock on, Eddie Rock. You rock on because you rock. Excellent stuff. By the way, looked up the Pating. They are from 13th Doctor times. They're the teeny tiny little chap from the Tsuranga conundrum. Oh, the Nibbler. Exactly. Yes, I was trying to remember. Like, oh, what's the name of the chap in Futurama? But yeah, exactly. People who are not Eddie Rock can follow Eddie Rock on the tweets. Eddie Rock can be found at... The... Eddie... Rock! Couldn't help yourself. No. Well, and that concludes our fantastic listener mini sections where we listened to our fantastic listeners' fantastic minis. Well done, gang. Thank you very much for sending those in. What are we Next? on? Oh. I interrupted you again. <laughs> no, no, go for it, go for it, go for it. What have we got next? <laughs> Leon, what's the next classic to roll off the conveyor? Oh, but that's a very good question. The next classic is going to be Black Orchids, which will feature an appearance by Hubakwen's very own cricket correspondence. Oh, sweet Christmas! Sweet cricket! It's going to be good. <laughs> After which we're back in New Who territory with what, Marie? Thin ice. Oh, there's a cat! There's a cat! Hello, cat! There's a cat! Marie, there there's a is cat. a cat! This cat is Ian Berlin. She is in Berlin. And, uh, Drew, what have we got coming up in the bonus section? Why, that's the already semi-recorded Strange Readings. That's right. People have started sending in their recordings. We're super duper excited. Oh my goodness. We're recording this on a Thursday. This coming weekend, we're going to start the editing process. Oh my goodness. I just came. It's going to be great. (laughs) Not the first time you said that tonight. (laughs) Not the first time I've come. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm multi-orgasmic. <laughs> so, people will definitely want to follow Leon online. Leon, where can you be found splooging your content all over the internet? Yeah, yeah. Please feel free to say uh, hi to me. You can tickle me under the chin. I can be found at Ponkin. Figure out how to spell it. If you do, there's a prize. You win the right to follow me. That's the prize. Right. Uh, so, Marie, I think you're also <laughs> online. Uh, indeed I am. I will be available on Instagram. For those of you who want to follow me, I am Hamash and Jelly. Hamash and Jelly, you say? Why, those, those are three of my favorite things. things. And Graham. <laughs> and I can be found at Drew Backwen on Twitter. Excellent branding, and the cat in Berlin has just farted in Marie's face. If oh, not no. shat out right from the way she looks. <laughs> oh no, I'm, oh, my sympathies. Just a very stinky evening fart. So that Marie oh. can leave the room, how about we wrap this up? Thank yeah, you so that. much for listening, Podcast Land. You've been a lovely audience. Oh my god, so lovely. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> Rock on, stay safe. Ciao ciao. Kissy. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when? This is Eddie Rock to ground control. I'm rocking through the door. And I'm rocking in the most epic you